this really is great to have all these different players that come on here and just join us. The stories are so incredible. The fact that we have this ability of being able to learn from them and share this to the world. Coming on next, this guy is a phenomenal, phenomenal player and educator. Anthony McKelly is with us. He's in the house. He's a drummer, an educator, a producer, and session musician. Anthony's musicality can be heard on over 100 internationally distributed albums. On the production end, he's worked on numerous commercial recordings, film scores, loop libraries, and more. Joining us from Toronto, Canada, to talk music, education, and even a, a few family McKelly pasta ideas. I want to hear all about it. Would you please welcome Anthony McKelly? Thank you, Anthony, so much for joining us. Eight six seven five three zero nine. There's a little promo for next week. Don, how are you? Anthony, I am fantastic, and thank you so much for joining us here. We have a chance of all the different people that join us on this <laughs> Vader site here. And this goes live to Facebook and YouTube channel on Vader. And it's just so great to have the stories. And I want people to really kind of get to know you and our little family of what we have going on here. So thanks again for spending some time with me. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Don. It's really great to be here. Now, you're up in the Toronto area. You, you, you were born there? Actually, I was born in a, a city outside of Toronto uh, by the name of Hamilton. And uh, it's a great little town, a lot of great musicians that come out of there, great producers that have come out of there, and uh, beautiful, thriving scene. A lot of people moving back now, actually. From from Toronto back to Hamilton, yeah. Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, affordability and that sort of thing, and uh, beautiful, because you're really close to nature and yeah. waterfalls and closer to the States, too. Yeah, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful you know, suburb of Toronto, too, which is just so great. Definitely. So, Let's just talk briefly. I want to just tap upon your background as far as you playing and getting involved with music and the different other instruments that you play. Just talk a little bit about your, your early days of getting involved with music and drumming. Sure. Um, well, before I even started drumming, I was, uh, I was involved in music through playing the accordion, actually, and saxophone. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was a part of the, the culture that I, I grew up in. And um, I was very lucky to actually, I didn't really like it that much early on, but I was really lucky to have had the time to start to understand independence and music through those instruments. Uh, I think it really helped a lot about how I hear music from behind the drum set. So, um, and then eventually I always wanted to play the drums and, uh, you know, as a little kid, I'd see drummers on TV and I'd always beg and asked my parents for drums and it never happened until later on in life. I was about 18 when I got my first real drum set, which is a beautiful set of Gretsch drums, which I still own, um, which I'm very proud that I didn't get rid of. Um, so from then on, it just all kind of took off and I got deep into it. And Were, were there it. any drummers that you were listening to at that time, you know, specifically? Uh, well, early on, I have an older brother and sister, and through their influence, they were also studying music. My sister played classical piano and got very far with it, and my brother was multi-instrumentalist focused on guitar, and he was bringing home, they were bringing home a lot of different records, but he would start bringing home stuff like um, uh, Weather Report. My sister had Donna Summer records. Uh, I would have, uh, you know, he was being a guitar player. You know, all of the great guitar players like Stanley Jordan at the time, you know, and Lee Rittenauer, Old Klug, all these, all these, you know, guys on the GRP labels, plus all the jazz guys, you know, and long list of musicians. And then, you know, Kiss and uh, Led Zeppelin, Rush, you know, I used to ride my bike to try and find out where Neil Peart lived because I was close to where he grew up. <laughs> Insanity. Did you ever find it? 
I I think I may have, but you know, I mean, I probably was just telling myself that's where he lives. That's where he lives. <laughs> yeah. How much, how much of an influence was Neil there? I mean, being a, a Canadian and having Neil, Neil, who I I got to know, just an absolute, you know, wonderful person, Neil Peart. Yeah. How much of an influence was he as a Canadian drummer with you being Canadian? Well, I mean, yeah, he was he was huge. Um, the fact that I got on my bike to try and find his house, I mean, it took a while to get to Grimsby in that area where he grew up. <laughs> but I would cycle through one of my drum, my first drum teacher was into cycling, and he would take me on these routes and stuff. But eventually I would just go on my own and try and find out where, where he grew up. I mean, yeah, you couldn't escape it. These guys were powerful, and um, it, was, it was just a beautiful thing, you know. What what he his contribution, uh, you know, and his dedication is really what kind of guided me as a young kid, you know, one of the guys, you know. Well, I mean, he uh, he guided you and millions of others to get involved with theirs. I mean, he, the, the influence that Neil had is just it's still to this day. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, completely, uh, completely insane. Um, and, you know, the fact that they were local, you know, and. Uh, that that had a big impact impact on us, you know, to know that these guys were uh, not that far away from where we grew up, and it gave us an idea of a possibility of making a career out of music and actually being uh, valued as a musician in the worldwide um, scope. You know, I didn't say web <laughs> back then. <laughs> back then, there was no web for sure. I mean, yeah. So we, we, we at this point we are starting to meet other musicians and play with them and jam with them with their with their hangout sessions. What were you doing at that? Yeah, through the high school band, I was playing saxophone. We did some touring. We and again, I was on saxophone because the drum chair had already been um, had already been taken. So I did alto sax and then tenor switched over. Um, and then uh, you know we did a tiny bit of you know school trips, went down to Florida and stuff like that. And I got the bug of wanting to travel and play music, and. Um, and then, you know, I had friends that I'd met at school that were also in music, and um, I would just start playing, you know, cover. We would start playing cover music, all styles of music, and uh, eventually we started our own band, and I was playing drum set, actually, because my friend, who also took accordion lessons, had a drum set. So he said, you can play my drums, I'll play the synth, and then we just started, uh, started learning music and went with that, and then eventually... That was the end of high school. I started realizing towards the end of high school, I was actually really, um, really into it. And I started taking drum lessons the year before I got into college and uh, got really focused on learning and learning fast. I had to learn all my theory and all that and and uh, drum set. And so that's when I really started kicking in. And then back then, as you know, Don, like we were playing all the time. Once we started a band, you'd have a gig every weekend to start. And then as you got busier, it was like every night of the week almost, you know? Well, it really was a different time. And, and, and for people to understand that there was just so much music to play to. And whether you were playing a private party or getting together at a club or, or just practicing, I mean, we literally were playing seven days a week. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it, it's a big part of my life still. You know, I'm still down here working on stuff, constantly practicing and being inspired by one of the best things of social media is that you get to check out what your heroes are doing and you get to tap into it. And sometimes they share some knowledge and then you can go down and work on it and get really excited about stuff. And, uh, you know, it's just it's a part of my life. It's a lifestyle and it's a part of your, yours and everybody else's that's really into it. Right. It sure is. And those that are listening to us right now, 
I think, you know, really should understand the fact that it's a way of life. And you commit to this and you just go to it until health allows you to continue and you just keep on taking it right to the end. Which, what amazes me is that, and I watched several of the videos that you that you have out. First of all, your pocket in, in your funk and, and your rock stuff is deep. It's very deep. But you also swing your tail off. I mean, you've got <laughs> such a beautiful jazz, you know, you know, understanding and your Latin music. So when you were learning and taking lessons, yeah. were you learning any of this stuff? Were you learning technique? Were you learning, what exactly were you learning in those early days? Well, I have to say that I'm really fortunate to have had really great teachers. And I'm not going to list them all because there's so many of them. But every single one of them that's ever given me a, a kernel of knowledge, and there's, there's quite a few, I, I'm not afraid to say that I'm not self-taught. Actually, I don't even think that self-taught is a thing really these days anymore. There's just so much knowledge out there um, that, you know, uh, I, you know would, I would get interested in a certain type of music and I'd realize I didn't really know a lot about it. And that just started becoming, um, I started getting hungry being Italian. And I was hungry for knowledge because <laughs> I, I already ate everything possible that my mom would have made me back then. Um, so, in all, you know, joking aside, um, the more I got into it, the more I started realizing I needed to dig. And um, I started finding the sources uh, of the teachers and the guys who were doing this. And, you know, I've gone to Cuba to study with people. I've been to Brazil. I've studied the music. I've played in a bateria. I've been the worst guy in several bands. I still am the worst guy in bands. It's all about that thirst and that curiosity and that um, hunger to want to learn. And so, like I said, having great teachers is is massive. So when they give you that knowledge, it's it's like a gift, you know. I don't say that lightly. It's a very important part of my life, and I, I have to acknowledge that, you know. Yes. Absolutely beautiful, Anthony. And that's so, you know, uh, sincere and humble, too, which is so great that you, that you acknowledge that. What was it? So you, you're playing. When was your like first gig that you realized this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life? I'm in this and I'm committed and I'm going with it. <laughs> Probably the first time I played the drums in front of people. Actually, before that, when I saw a Kiss video and I was a kid and I had my feet up on the huge television tube, I went, I want to do that. <laughs> Can my fit my feet fit in those boots? <laughs> you know, like I just I just knew it. And then like I had an interesting experience, which I have to say was was a turning point for me. And that was when the guidance counselor at my high school said, Maybe you want to not really get into music. And then if you do want to get into music, maybe you want to do classical music. And I thought I understood why she was saying that, because there was a working orchestra in every major city and it was funded and, and you could have a career in it. And even though I studied some of that stuff, um, I thought that's not where my heart is. And, and I got to go where my heart is. And I said, thank you so much. She was a great woman and a great teacher. And I just said, I got to do my own thing. So that's when I... I focused on going uh, into applied music programs and studying how to play, how to write, how to arrange, you know, all that stuff, counterpoint, uh, everything, you know, what you do at music school, basically. You well, don't you just were, sit around and, and drink coffee, so. <laughs> you, were, you were much more honorable to your guidance counselor than I was <laughs> when she told me, you should not think about drumming and you should think about a, a, a job that maybe get a job at the post office and get a secure job and, and do something like that and just do music on the side. You were much more polite. I told my counselor, <laughs> I told my counselor go to hell. 
I, yeah. Yeah, that's funny. I was conditioned, man. That's what my parents told me every day. You know, this music thing is nice, but, uh, you know, you're going to be, that's uh, going to be hard for you to do this living, you know? But the, the truth of the matter is, is uh, once they saw the passion, uh, I think that people just started realizing this is, you know, this can be done. So in college, well, what was college like? What, what, what did college offer to you on top of what you already were working on? Well, obviously, college opened my eyes because I was a young kid, um, you know, and I, it, it opened my eyes to all the great, uh, like everybody that you've mentioned in, in all the podcasts you've done and, and all the guys that you need to study on every single website that people tell you you got to check out. Um, and that includes all styles of music. And um, I, again, I had very open teachers, very lucky because some teachers are very focused. That's great, too especially when you know that that's what you need to work on. Those are the guys you got to go towards. Um, but college opened up my eyes to that. And then I started discovering, um, you know, people that were current uh, at the time and still are now, actually. Some people, I mean, um, some some head-spinning moments for me, you know. I just, I can remember clear moments of, I mean, I'll think of an example of seeing the first time I, first time I went to a drum clinic. The third-year students, the third-year drummers took me to a drum clinic, and they said, you got to check out this guy, man. He's on uh, uh, he's on the Joan Rivers show. He played with, uh, you know, everybody, you know. He's on Zappa Records on that. And so I'm like, yeah, man, who's this guy, you know? And it's like, I'm into it. And yeah, his name is Vinny Caliuta. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay. Well, let's go check him out. I go check him out, and I swear to God. I just didn't know what was going on. I was a little kid, wet behind the ears again, every single time. And, you know, as you know, I was at the the, uh, the thing that you did last, the two NAMs ago, where you interviewed him and Steve Vai, and that was fantastic. That uh, That session was great. But, I mean, I realized that, you know, I had a very, very long way to go. And this is, you know, the beginning. And then I'd go out and hear guys like Elvin. He'd be coming to town all the time. Tony Williams was coming to town. Um, anytime anybody came to town, we would go. So not only did we study in college, we would go out and hear the music and understand what was going on, you know. Rock concerts, anything, you know. Hearing these guys play with different people and understanding the importance of all those things too, right? Well, it, it really is so great that you mentioned that because that really was, you have to get out, you got to experience feeling what they're playing while they're playing live and what they're doing. It really needs to have that experience. And, and I mean, honestly, I can remember every performance I ever went to live to hear all these great drummers, but yeah, yet yeah. I can't remember the last YouTube video I just saw. So yes. It's an impact that it can have on you. Oh, it most certainly does, you know. And, and like, even Cindy Blackman ripped my head off. She was in town playing with Pharrell Sanders, and I saw her at the festival, and I sat as close to the stage as possible. And when she walked out, I was kind of going, what the hell is going on? And she just, she played the drums so, so strong with such a great background and so steeped in the history that, um, that I was just going, wow, this is incredible. I got to go back home and figure this, you know, I got to figure out more stuff. <laughs> You know, and like it's just it's just an amazing thing. You know, take trips to New York, go hear guys in the clubs. That's what we used to do. You know, well, that's, that's great. It's great advice going out. And, and you know, now that the bands are starting to get back into action after COVID, now we're starting yeah. to open up some more. That's great advice to go out there, get into any major city, and just go and listen and experience in person that artist sweating playing that music. Yeah, you know, Dom, it's really important to hear all all levels of players. 
uh, as well, in, in my opinion, you know, to hear the guys that will rip your head off and to hear the guys who are your colleagues because there's always something that they're doing that you might not have thought about. And, you know, your next-door neighbor who happens to be a fantastic drummer or yeah. your your buddies, you know, like like that's all shared information. So the source could be anything or anywhere, you know. <laughs> well, that's, well, take it. Like I was saying earlier before we started, one of my next-door neighbors is Roy Haynes. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Turn my head. To this day, he's still playing great. I'm trying to figure things there, out. There you go, man. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So That's fantastic. You, when did you start touring? Was, was touring happening like after the college area? Um, so I think full force. I finished um, I finished college and then um, I went to Banff Center for the Arts. There I met a bunch of people from all over the world. This is a very important point in my life where... I was starting to meet network of people, and they were musicians from all over, uh, from France, from uh, Africa, from the United States, from England, everywhere. And I started to, you know, make connections with these folks, as well as studying with some major um, uh, people that I would have never been able to run into, to have one-on-ones with these guys. Um, and then went to university, did all that stuff as well, and then went to the Lake Placid for the Arts uh, where I met more people on an international level. The reason why I'm bringing this all up is because all the people that I met along the way became the people that I eventually would have toured with. Mm. And we don't think about it when we're studying. We're thinking about, you know, we're thinking about getting it together. We're thinking about how do I get this gig? How do I do that? How, you know, what do I need to learn? And and, and along the way, you, you have to understand it's about relationships. And I, I guess... I had to understand that, I should say. I should reframe that. Um, because those are the people that you will work together. They will be your friends. They will be the people you share bus rides with, that you sit on a plane with. And if, you know, you got to have a bit of a rapport with them and you got to be able to play. And um, so touring kind of started right after school, after all that education, you know. And oddly enough, it started with, something that wasn't jazz it was a it was a band that got signed to warner and we did um uh we did cross canada stuff and then we did some stuff into the new york and the eastern seaboard uh and then when that ended uh i ended up staying and doing a little bit more jazz stuff in town and then that grew uh, quite a bit so it just kept going from there you know well it seemed like it really did, did evolve but it sounds like you have had a very organic path that seems to be really like one step led to the next step, but you were intuitive enough to trust your instinct and go for it. Um, <clears throat> I guess so, excuse me. <clears throat> you know, we were gonna talk about sight reading and an interesting thing about sight reading, which I'll just kind of throw out there, is that you do have to be able to read, but you have to have the instinct and the intu intuition to know what's coming, to know if there's a change, um, to know if the band leader is trying to signal something or, or the group is feeling it in a different way or if they're lost and you have to recover. So in an interesting way, it's just an awareness of what's going on and trying to stay in tune with your surroundings and working really hard, really. There's no substitute for that, right, Don? I, I know that you're a prime example of that, you know. It really is hard work and putting the time into it. But in sight reading, just explain, Anthony, about just the preparation you need, what skills do you need theory-wise, to prepare you for sight reading? 
Um, like I would suggest, like even if you're not interested in sight reading as a as a musician, this is not any highbrow approach to learning music here. Uh, I think that the easiest way to do it is to go with the most basic stuff and just see how it relates to what you already know. So if you're already playing grooves and you're able to get through songs, um, if you have a teacher, maybe ask them to chart out the groove you're playing, or even just what's the basic figure behind what's going on here. Or what's the rhythm of this melody? Not even the notes of the melody. What's the rhythm of the melody? And then from there you have familiarity. And then you can associate with something you know and start understanding how these representations, these drawings of notes and flags and note heads, what they represent. And, uh, and then you can actually start with something you already know. And then it's not so daunting when you open up a, a method book. And then the second thing I would suggest is there's so many great method books there's there's just like i have filing cabinets full of them and you don't need them all that's just my my uh, obsession with seeing notation and, and understanding music you get a couple of great books like the the standard books that you've all known about like syncopation stick control you know new breed and like like you don't even have to get into the heavier stuff just start simple and go one step at a time until you get it and then when you get into chart reading that's a different thing you know well, that, that, that's great advice. And, you know, those books like Syncopation, where you start to understand note values of what they mean, triplets and dotted 16th, etc. And then when you get into something like New Read, where you're reading some of those pages, you know, in the back of the book, where it starts out with quarters and eighths and slowly gradually builds up. Those really are great reading preparation books that will, that will you know, put you in a great position to be able to read. And then the more you do it, sight reading kind of comes a little bit more naturally, correct? Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, and most of the time you'll never ever have a chart like a person's tune that has that much information in it. You might have a snippet of a four bar passage or two bars or like a figure that comes up that's one bar long. So it's almost like, how do I lead up to this? And what what's the vibe of the tune right now? So if I overplay it and I just think, big band drummer, I got to play a big fill to set up this thing on beat two. Like I might overkill the song if I'm playing with a vocalist that's really light and quiet. Or if it's a folk kind of thing and there's a shot, there's a chart I got to read, you know, or whatever. You know, you just got to approach it with musicality and, and just know that you know what the figure represents. Well, that's great, great, great advice. So we got a couple of questions that are coming up here. Amazing. Yeah, <laughs> to pull one of the questions up. <coughs> from Raymond Montagna. Okay, that's that's my buddy Ramon Montagnier. Oi! He's my Brazilian friend. Oh, Anthony, how was your experience playing in some of the samba schools, the bachucadas? Here uh, in Brazil, and what percussion instruments did you play? Oh, that's great. That's a great question. So, um, if you don't know Ramon, Ramon's a fantastic drummer and a great uh, educator as well. You can check him out online. But uh, to answer your question, Ramon, I, I, um, well, I was very lucky, and I'm literally telling you that my neighborhood is full of excellent musicians. Um, a block, not even a block away, at the intersection, just around the corner, there's uh, a fellow colleague who's heavily into Brazilian music, and he runs one of his own. There's about three or four samba schools in Toronto. So um, through professional, uh, knowing each other on the professional level, he encouraged me to join in and, and play in his, his, his uh, school. So I learned how to play kasha, which is the snare drum, the upside down. It looks like a snare drum, a deep snare drum with the, um, the uh, 
the what do you call it the snares yeah trainers on top yeah 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 there's usually strings guitar strings or whatever um so i learned on that but i also learned you know pandero which is the handheld um uh tambourine with a you know you play it with one hand and you wobble back and forth and understanding the function of the surdo the, the bass drum function so we learn how to play on drums at right but understanding what three different drums mean in that big school the batucada the big samba school understanding what each one of those drums functions as really helps what what i have to do as a drum set player right um you know learning how to play the reco reco which is the the thing that, that you scrape you know with the uh, the pick that you use for your hair you know <laughs> um so and you know even guys like i know you know memo acevedo he was one of the first guys that kind of introduced me to a, a, an overall view of latin music and i use latin music as a general term because you know each one of these different areas of the world has its own nuances that you have to learn so obviously cuban music is much different than Brazilian music, which is much different than Peruvian, you know, maraca playing and, and like uh, Cajon playing from, you know, fl accompanying flamenco's uh, dancers and in that whole tradition. So if you have to know a little bit of each of these things, uh, it really informs the way you play the drum set. And so I might not ever get a gig playing in a samba school again, which was amazing. We went to Brazil and everything, went to Sao Paulo and Rio. Um, but the fact that I can sit down on the drum set and learn a part from somebody who's playing a legitimate Brazilian song and they want me to play in the band to play a concert or a recording, I can represent it that way. Or they may even say, I don't want such a real traditional sense um, interpretation of this. I'd like to go um, a little bit of that flavor. And then you can balance what, what they're going for at that point. So it, it's helpful, you know. Well, that is fantastic, Ramon. Thank you so much for the, for the question. But it, it's interesting that you have that, you know, that, you know, listen, it's almost as if fate planted people near where you live. <laughs> kind of. It's, it's really, really amazing. Well, uh, it's funny. I'm sandwiched between a, a professional guitar player who's played in a very popular band and has written music that's been on everyone. Everyone knows a lot of the music he knows. Uh, a television sitcom and then on the other side another heavy-duty drummer who has played on a ton of stuff all over so um, it's kind of like the company you keep and, uh, and I'm very fortunate to be in this area I don't know how it worked out but maybe it's uh, horseshoes or something <laughs> there's several different hats that you wear you know being a session musician where you're being called in for session you know going out there mm -hmm. playing live gigs mm -hmm. teaching and then also getting involved in the production side of things. Yeah. So just just talk about talk about each one of those areas. How you balance all of that? How do you balance the teaching and the production side and the, you know, all of this? I mean, it, it's, a, yeah. it's a lot what you're doing. Yeah. Well, I'm. I I think um, I've always done that. I've always sort of multitasked. Um, uh, went to school, taught, and and had a job, and then played gigs. Came home, did what I needed to do. Went to school. Blah blah blah. I'm used to that pace, um, and and um, the reason why I got into production, just to kind of get into that for a second, is because at one point early on, I started realizing that I was spending all this time making choices on equipment, making choices on sound, 
um, getting things dialed in so they are tuned and sound great and then talking to people who tell me hey man you got to check out this sound no that's too high for the recording that's too low and and then like really taking that to heart and going to check out all the stuff so you work on your own sound you pick your symbols you listen to so-and-so bill stewart's ride symbol why does it sound that way what's he doing and then you find something you figure it out and then you go to a studio and some engineer who maybe has a great knowledge about how to record you uh has a great representation of your sound but then sometimes there's a moment where you might not have that luxury and things don't always sound that way so you spent all this time on your own personal sound and then it gets kind of destroyed by the recording process so i just kind of got into it because of that curiosity and then i i guess fine-tune hearing and reading and understanding all that stuff that helped the editing and um I guess I grew up uh, with a lot of musicians who were in the scene, engineers and producers and stuff that really are um, prominent people. And I just learned a lot from them. I was always with the, like I said, I was always the guy in the background who didn't really know enough. And I just try to eat it up and go for it. You know, what do you think? What do you think drives you to, to learn that? You know, what, what, what pushes you to learn that technology? Because the technology world here we are as drummers working on our craft and then, you know, re sight reading music and teaching. All of a sudden you go into this technology world. Yeah. It's a whole other world. You're right, Don. It is. It, and um, I guess like baby steps uh, for me because I did it early on and I got the bug early on and then I just kept at it. And and uh, I've always been a proponent for for trying to do more than just sitting sitting uh, like always trying to strive to get better at things and um i would just research things and get into it and um ask a lot of questions and uh and, and then at this stage of the game as you know like i mean this is we have to have technology under our belt now to teach to play to to meet all that stuff so there has to be a component of that in, in our life and how do I find time for it? I have no choice because <laughs> if I want that quality of thing, that's what I have to do. You know. Well, it, it, it's so interesting how you do it. But you got also involved in like like scoring commercial music, uh, playing playing in commercial music. Yeah, and and with with people who've written scores or, or sketches of scores, and then you're actually the guy playing the part. Uh, sorry, there's no part, and you're the guy actually playing it. <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, from that that score, you've got to pull a part out of that. Yeah. How do you do that? How, how do you how, you know how, how do you go? Is there an approach that you have that you are able to because you you, know, you pull out great parts and nothing was there and you've created this? Well, sometimes they have a sketch and you know like so like eyes and, and ears are so important in this in this whole thing and if you have a visual to help you whether it's a sketch whether it's a note like actual notes and they want you to play exactly that um, or whether it's a demo of something you get you can actually learn a lot before you even touch the drums you know and that's a big one in in uh, my world is before I decide to play something I'll ask the guy whoever it is or the girl the composer or whatever their title is what are you hearing and then can you play it for me can I hear it and it's not because I want to like it's not the buddy rich approach where I, I can't see it it's just it's just you get something orally from that. You, you you can hear what they're saying. You even get inflections of emotions through the way they play it. Um, and that kind of stuff is really important for the way 
we as uh, an extension, so we're basically there to serve them. We have to get that as well as the notes, you know. So if, and you hear this in tons of different discussions where the, the, the person doesn't even know anything about music and they're saying, well, you know, can you play something that kind of feels like a little bit of like, you know, just kind of like a little bit more like, and then by the end of it all, it's like spacey, uh, like, you know, and you're sitting there going, oh, no. Okay, I think I know what you're going for. And, and then you got you to gotta figure it out. That's what you got to work with. <laughs> so all those things together, you just try and make it work. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And, you know, I know that if you're not the right guy for the session, then you get someone else to do it. And they often make that choice themselves, you know. You know all those stories. It's interesting that you say that because, and I want the listeners to realize that, that, that sometimes you have to be, you have to really kind of understand who you are and mm. what you can bring to the table. You know, I, the, the quick story yeah. that I talk about is, you know, when J Jeff Vaccaro was originally asked to play Asia, 100%. And, and when he heard the tune Asia, he said, that's not a tune for me, that's the tune for Steve Gadd. That's right, yeah. And he just knew that he, what person, or when there was a certain shuffle they want to play, he'd say, no, you got to get Bernard Purdy for that. So there's certain things that we do that are in our wheelhouse, but you've got a real wide wheelhouse, man. You've got a real wide ability of being able to play a lot of variety of styles, which is absolutely really impressive. Oh, thank you, uh, Dom. Um, I, I can only say that, like, I'm still working on things and still going for, like, I'm still learning. I'm still trying to take lessons with people. I'm always asking questions. If I make a recording, I'll ask people to check it out. And I'm, I've had the luxury of having some friends that have offered valuable things for me to listen to. I mean, if this is going to be my life, I don't want to fake it. Yeah. And and uh, if I'm going to take this stage here with you in the stand, I, I better know what the hell, at least a little bit of what I'm doing. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, I just think about, I, I just bring this up because this was an amazing thing for me. I saw it, uh, we met at the uh, Drumio thing last, uh, it was after the NAMM show. So in January, you were doing uh, everything, all your duties, but it all wrapped up at that VIP. And, and so beyond being an MC and doing a fantastic hi-hat solo and introducing everybody and all that stuff, and I'm sitting there going, man, how does this guy do this? The next day, it's the VIP thing, and I'm sitting, like, flying the wall in the back of the room, and, you know, the three of you guys are doing a clinic. You know, Jojo Mayer, yourself, and um, Tommy Igo. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my, I felt like I was a kid again. I felt like, look at this information that's coming down here. These guys are giving it up. These are the guys giving it all away. And so if, I don't know how you would feel if you didn't put the work in and you had to stand up in front of those people who are listening to you. Like, how would you feel? So, I mean, that's, that's, my, uh, that's my own mission. You know, try to keep... Keep on track because you gotta you, you gotta mean it. Otherwise, it doesn't count. You know. Yeah, but you, you you've got a great work ethic and you've got a great sense of discipline. You know, discipline really means self control. You really you really do that so well, and that's a guiding force that I believe is what is delivering you to the success that you have. Well, I don't know, but thanks, Dom. I don't know what success I have, but I, I don't take anything for granted. And I know a lot of people have had to stop playing music as a result. And you know what? At one point in their lives, if they've, if we've had any, any relations with each other, you know, there's a good chance that they've given back a lot already in that in that time that they did dedicate. So really, you know, my heart goes out to a lot of those people who are either no longer with us or 
who've dedicated a life to it and then just had to make a change in their life, you know? It wasn't in vain. It wasn't in vain. That's my point. Yeah, but you know, and you mentioned the show, the Drumio Festival, which happened in Vancouver. It was just absolutely incredible to have that level of players. Yeah. Like Steve Smith, Jojo Mayer, Annika Niles, Cindy Blackman Santana, all the different people that were there that Drumio and Jared Falk and his team put together. What an amazing festival that was. Well, fantastic. It was such a celebration. I was actually so excited to be there. I was, it was, it was phenomenal actually i went with uh, earthworks microphones they brought me out there to help them out and and it happened to be uh one of the one of the best things that happened uh after an am show (laughs) and then and then covid hit holy cow we we snuck that festival that was the last festival and then a couple days later covid hit and everything just kind of shut down so but they're planning on doing the festival again in 2022 oh amazing i'm sure in the vancouver area and uh we'll get together for sure at that point, just talk about if you would, you know, there sure. are that 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 um, recently what's come up with me is having a challenge playing with a click. They don't okay. really, really have it really kind of locked into that. That how do you play with this click process? You, and you do it all the time, anytime. So, what do you have to offer to them? Uh, maybe a couple of small exercises to start with. Um, first of all, if you're going to start playing with a click, you got to do it regularly. So familiarity is, again, a big thing. And so um, I would suggest if you're going to work on playing the click, at least make that part of your practice routine. Um, and organize your practice routine. That's what one big thing I would say is don't, don't just go downstairs and play the drums or upstairs or whatever. Don't just go to the drums and play without any kind of focus. That's what I call enjoyment. So after I finish practice, I will go and play along to music. That's fun. Not music I got to learn, but if I just want to play. So I would make a component of my practice routine playing with the click. And then like simple things like don't put the click just on the downbeat. Put it on the upbeat, meaning if you're counting one and two and three and four and put your click on the upbeat, the and. So one and two and three and four and start feeling that. And then if you get really excited and challenge yourself by putting the click on any of the four 16th notes. So on the E and then keep it on the E and just play a simple drum beat, you know? And so if you're counting one E and a two E and a one E and a two E and a three E and a four. And then play your simple drum beat with the click on the E so you hear it. And then like, one of the biggest things is being comfortable with it is understanding how you feel when you hear it and then how you feel when you're playing you hear it and then when you get off it (laughs) um how do you get back on it it's like driving on a highway and there's a four-lane highway if the car beside you starts swerving towards you on your lane you're aware of them but you're not staring at them you're looking down the road so you can see this happening and you just keep going, right? And it's the same thing for yourself. So those lines on the road can actually be a click. So if you're veering off, I used to do exercises of veering ahead, veering behind, ahead, behind, and then totally on top, totally behind. Those are some exercises. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about, I apologize. <laughs> i just made it all up i don't know what the hell i'm talking about what is this anyways vader who is this vader <laughs> that is said very well and that's a great great visual 
way to look at it as far as how to see that click and not be afraid of it would allow your, again, your intuition to kind of guide yourself along that click. Totally, totally. Yeah, 100%. Well, I think we have another question I, I, w- I want to bring up. I want to see if, if Chad, uh, bring another question by Scott Pistol Crockett, another phenomenal, phenomenal player and teacher. Dom, if you could choose a musical record or tour with, who would you choose? Who would be someone that you'd like to go out and, and perform with? Musical group. Wow. Holy moly. That's such a hard question. Um, it really is a hard question for me oh. because I love so many things. I, uh, I, I, I can't answer that. I, I would love to, I would love to give you a name, but you know, for so many different reasons, I would love to play with a lot of different things. You might say, well, come on, man, you got to pick something, but I can't. And I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> um, you know, whatever the gig is, I, I'm not this guy. I'm not trying to be the uh, the Swiss Army knife of drummers here. I know my strengths and weaknesses, but I know that one thing, like if I take something on because I think it's a right fit, I'm going to dedicate it and I'm going to give it my all. So whatever it is, rock, pop, a funk gig. I mean, used to do a lot of that stuff and back in Hamilton, you know, guys would move up from Detroit. You'd be playing James Brown tunes all night. Lots of R&B stuff, you know. Uh, jazz guys come to town. I regularly have to learn people's repertoire, you know, people that they they send me their record and, and it's got, you know, uh, Nate Smith's the drummer on the record and I got to learn all of it. Or Dan Weiss is the drummer and I got to learn the songs. And I'm sitting there going, oh my God, listen to this. <laughs> I got to figure this out. Not only is it like really tricky, but listen to the drumming on this. Like, so I got to figure out where I fit in on, on those, on those, uh, on those gigs. So to be honest with you, I'm excited by anything really. And I mean, that's a great question, but I'm sorry. The answer is terrible. <laughs> I can't give you a direct, a direct well, answer on that. And the answer might be all the above, you know, as gigs come up, we prepare ourselves to face the challenge of whatever they are. And uh, yeah, yeah music out there what i mean you know, listen you're an excellent teacher and what what makes an excellent teacher and what makes a great student what are the qualities that oh. each should have well as a student i mean this is i try to do this as a teacher too but as a student when i was a student uh i had to learn how to how to not bring ego into learning and Oftentimes, that's one of the first things I tell people that study with me is that, you know, let's check the egos at the door. This is like the old Western where you hang up your guns at the door and you come in and we sit at the bar and we have a drink and we talk and we learn. So for me, um, you know, you got to put yourself in a place where you're there to learn from the person that you've chosen to learn from. And if you haven't chosen it because someone appointed you to learn to, from them, maybe there's a reason why. So it's up to you to figure that out. And um, as a teacher, you've got to understand that each individual that walks into your door has something to offer. And so you have to have the humility to share knowledge, but also see how they accept it and, um, and how they want to manifest it in their playing. So you have to be open on that level as well as a teacher. So... That's what I would say. Check the ego at the door. Go to learn and have a lot of fun. You know, dig your heels and work hard. Well, that really is great advice. And you know, it, it's uh, nothing is easy, and you got to work hard for everything. Yes, even the simplest things. I mean, 
I don't know about you, Don, but I might have done something when I was 20 years old, and I go and look at it and go, oh, yeah, I remember doing these exercises here, yeah, whatever they were. Marvin Smitty Smith exercise number seven and whatever. And I'd be going, holy cow, I can't even I can't even fathom how I did that. And then it takes me half an hour to get it back. And it's like, okay, that's what it is today. Yeah. So <laughs> right. you can't hang your hat. You know, you got to be ready to jump in again if you're going to be in the game. So, But that's a very healthy attitude. And, and all the players that I know that are, that are successful at what they're doing have that same level of open-mindedness and you know, that ability of being the constant student. Listen, I got on the constant student thing. I got to share this with you because this was huge on me. And and again, I I already mentioned him once, but I'll mention it again because it's worth worth mentioning. And also because I'm going to plug something. Um, So I was at the IAGA um, and performing in in L.A. It was happening that year. And uh, Roy Haynes was playing. He was on stage and I was so excited to see Roy. And I got to the theater early and sat down and it was big theater and uh and i could see the setup i'm trying to figure out what drums he's playing it's like so cool oh there's the flat ride and like oh so excited and then uh i look over to my right and it's the doors you know people coming in and um and it's just about to start and then comes like uh you know three or four guys and i'm like i'm staring at them i'm like (laughs) and they sit down three seats in front of me like three rows in front of me and i go that's vinny with John the Christopher, and they're sitting down here checking out Roy Haynes. And through the whole concert, I couldn't help but in the peripherals seeing the reactions of those guys when Roy was playing. Like, it was like watching kids. <laughs> so for me, on the sideline, I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to do any association here, on the sidelines, it, it taught me that at every level, you have to have that humility. You have to... You know, you you know, you have to be a kid and learn. It, it just kind of it really knocked it home for me. And the reason why I said uh, I bring it up is because I think John Christopher has a show coming up after this today, so you could check that out. <laughs> I'm gonna check it out. <laughs> John is a is a dear friend, and he's got his show that he puts on that he interviews all of these top drummers, and he just does a great great job with it. And he's still very actively involved in the music industry and what he's doing. So it's just so oh great. yeah, it's so funny. Tell me about. About your beta sticks, you, you use the uh, the Anthony McKelly, the AM five ninety five. Ready, set. <laughs> I remember Alan doing that in the parking lot. He was he's doing uh, football calls. AM five ninety five, and then <laughs> um, yeah, I I I, it, I didn't always use that because it didn't exist. Uh, what I did used to use, and I still occasionally go back to some of these sticks, are the session. Um, the, um, the five B, um, what else was I using? The fusion acorn, uh, they're all kind of in the same range, but not quite what, what this stick is. And, and the way this came about, if you, if you're interested, um, is basically was talking with Chad about, uh, first of all, I really have to say this. I'm very, very fortunate to have been with Vader for 21 years. So for me, this is huge. And then. I think in 2017, um, they released the stick, and it took a couple of years to get sorted out, back and forth with stuff. Uh, oh, there it is. And um, and so basically what was going on was I was finding that the thinner sticks would wear out, and then I would, like, you know, the hi-hat would sort of chip away at the shoulder a little bit, and they'd have a cool feel on the ride symbol and the lighter feel, but then when I really wanted to dig in, I needed something thicker, so I'd have to go to the 5B, and then sometimes the 5Bs were too 
too thick or too heavy for certain applications. So I just talked to Chad about the details of something in between. And um, the 595 is actually the, di um, the diameter of the stick. And so I really love the acorn tip. And we went through a few different, uh, I think about four or five prototypes where the tip changed, the length slightly changed, and uh, the diameter changed, the shoulder, where the shoulder was, would change. And so for me, um, it was really important to have, um, I have the sticks here, uh, to have a good balance point in the hand, but also to have a great rebound off tip and good tonal qualities out of the uh, acorn tip. And for all the different styles and stuff, um, just by changing the angle of how I struck the, the or my grip or whatever I was doing, whether right hand or left hand, I could get the sound I wanted with the acorn tip and the rebound that I wanted from uh, from the balance. And it was just, it felt good in my hand, right? So that's what I use. And, um, and I, I love their brushes, especially the wood-handled brushes. Those are fantastic because they feel like a stick. They feel longer than a short brush. I used to hate having that little ring in my hand all the time because I like to hold them further back to get more more play off of the brush. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that I mean, very, very lucky to have had the opportunity to develop that with them. And they extended uh, they extended the welcome um, to to create that. Yeah, it was a pretty cool. It actually didn't start off. Uh, designing sticks. I went and talking to those guys at the NAMM show about a bunch of prototype ideas for specialty sticks. I showed it to them. And then uh, we moved towards the idea of releasing a stick for a Canadian artist. And so I'm very grateful. How amazing. What, what, what's, he stood over here. What about the weight compared to the 5B? Uh, the weight is similar. Um, it's not it's not as heavy. Uh, it's not as light. It's a hickory stick, so it's not a light stick. Most people pick it up and go, "Oh, that's a big stick," or it feels, it feels kind of heavy. And then you start playing it, and it it just feels right to me, at least. And the people that have used it that have shared their comments, they often will have said that it's like initially I thought it might be too thick, um, or or not heavy enough. But I, it might be slightly lighter because it's a little bit. Uh, the diameter is just a couple of millimeters smaller but um i think it's got a i think it's got a good feel to it i don't know i'm not sure of the weight maybe chad could tell us yeah so it's, it's in between the, it's in between a 5a and a 5b then yeah 5a and a 5b okay boy that's a great great size stick to have it's someone's wow. beautiful beautiful boy good that wasn't out of the mind of experimentation you had an idea you put it together and now you produced a product that really works yeah, well, I'm I'm really lucky because I I get to use them all the time, <laughs> and I gotta say, look, any stick that Vader makes, and I'm not just saying this. I've had the choice, and I still have the choice, to go to play several brands as we all do, and um, when the distributor changed for Vader in Canada, they had to stop distributing Vader because of their own obligations, and they extended the welcome to 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 go on to to continue working with them but as beautiful as the as, as people as they were and helpful there's no way that i was going to change the stick because of the quality of the wood the the water content in the wood and the way they dry their wood and the way they cut their wood is just amazing so it's the feel of the stick and for me i'm a very tactile hands-on kind of person so you know all the stick makers make great products there's no question but for me, this is this is what I use, and I love it. You know, 
<laughs> well, I tell you something. You know, what's incredible about Alan Vader and his vision with the company is it's just absolutely brilliant. His commitment to excellence is is, is unmatched, and it's great to have you aboard in the family for sure, Anthony. It's just oh, that's fantastic. amazing. So great to have you on board too, John, to be in your company. Oh, man, let's, let's try and squeeze one more question up again. Let's try and get one more question in. Sure. This is from Edi Ramirez. Hey, Adrian Fruger's um, album Ricochet has one of the best snare sounds on the record. Oh, thank you. Any specific snare and or miking techniques used in the session to achieve that sound? Nice. Uh, yeah, I mean, Ricochet. That was a great record. Um, uh, it was actually nominated for a Juno Award, uh, which is the equivalent to your... Um, Grammys, I guess, or whatever. I'm not sure what you guys call it yeah. in the States. But um, I don't remember. How's that for an answer? <laughs> and I'm trying to remember the studio that we made that record in. Um, uh, if if uh, if you reach out um, via social media, I'll find out, and I'll gladly tell you uh, what, what it was and how we achieved that sound. I have documentation of mostly every session I have in photos, so I can try and dig that up for you. But um, thanks, man. Thanks for listening to that. How fantastic. You got some serious fans out there. AnthonyMcKelly.com. Yeah. This is his website right here. So anybody that wants to get a hold of him, just feel free to go to his website. He's all around social media. Check it down. Anthony, you have done absolutely fantastic. Today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank and you, Don. your talent and your wisdom. Really, really very helpful to a lot of people. Thank you so much, Tom, and thank you, Chad and Alan and everybody on the team. And I have to say, I'm really sorry about the Boston Bruins having been knocked out of the... I was looking forward to seeing the Habs play the Bruins, and I know Mark Pozo is probably all pissed off, but what are you going to do? Come on, Mark! <laughs> Anyways, at least New York's still in. <laughs> Maybe not that long, but they're still hanging in there for sure. Fingers crossed. All right, thank you so much, guys. Anthony, thank you so much. Fantastic. Thank you, everyone. Boy, this is so great to have these kind of conversations. And uh, what a seasoned pro. What an articulate person. What an inspiring person who has got an incredible amount of experience. AnthonyMcKelly.com. Go to his website. Check him out on social media. And if any of you want any lessons or any advice, you make sure you contact him. I would highly advise spending some time with Anthony and really being able to tap into his deep well of wisdom. Anthony, thanks again. Next week, we continue. Oh, my gosh, John Calso is going to join us. And, oh my gosh, the legendary Beach Boys, playing with them for years. He spent his entire life in the music industry. Child star with his family band, the Calsills. They were inspiration for the Partridge family. This is going to be such great. We'll have some great laughs, and you'll know him from many of the songs that everyone still sings. 867-530-Jenny, man, bring it on. We'll have lots of great stories. We'll have lots of great laughs, so please join us next week. Again, Anthony McKelly, thank you so much for your time and your talent. I thank you all so much. Vader Percussion, we have fun in doing these. We will going to continue this here. Join us. Spread the word. You'll check it out on Facebook and on the YouTube channel. You can share them later on with your friends. Let's keep it going and have some fun. Thank you all so much. Stay well, stay safe, and hopefully, God willing, I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.